Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our exciting new affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you will receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. You'll also find clues to next month's theme. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. The shirts are unique. They're pretty dope with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines, and a really cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. That's one I'm hoping I will get here sometime soon. The designs are silk screened onto a soft style tee that's super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. That's right, each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. Get your exclusive link in the show notes, and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so you can support the show while getting cool swag with mysteries in the process. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to the After Party. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, who negotiates peace treaties with zombies through interpretive dance, Jay. What's, what's going on? The most useful interpretive dance ever has been used for years by me to hypnotize and Pied Piper away zombies from the good people of the St. Louis metropolitan area. Thank yeah. you for having me on the show tonight. I mean, I've never seen a zombie in this area, so you must be doing a great job. So far, I'm ready. After <laughs> the last podcast, I'm ready. So, but yeah, we are going to talk about some cool stuff tonight, but let's uh, finish off the business real quick. Tell them what they need to know. Yeah, check us out on social media. Please share us with friends, family, whoever else might want to hear us because it is the best and most organic way for us to grow. You can find us on TikTok at cryptique underscore podcast or on YouTube at cryptique podcast. And you can find the Parabox link in the show notes. This week's show was how to survive a zombie apocalypse. But what are we talking about tonight in the after party? Tonight we are talking about cordyceps, the zombie fungus at the center of HBO's The Last of Us, or the game. Uh, It is a parasitic fungus that typically thrives in hot, humid climates like tropical forests. There are hundreds of different species of cordyceps, and each of them targets specific types of insects. Before we go on, give us your movie howl review of The Last of Us. Have you watched the show? I've seen like an episode and a half. Okay. What I saw was pretty good. Okay. What about the game? Um, the game, the game, the first game was very good. The second game, I heard so many bad reviews of. I just, I stayed away from it. Okay, that's your movie hell review. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm, I'm passingly familiar with it. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, sorry about that. Go ahead. <laughs> Naturally, the question posed by The Last of Us is whether cordyceps could ever infect human hosts. Thankfully, the answer seems to be no, at least for now. Still, that doesn't make this malicious fungus any less frightening. There's a reason cordyceps are known as a killer, and it's just as gruesome as you might expect. So how do cordyceps spread? 
Well, cordyceps spreads by releasing spores that invade the bodies of its insect hosts. So when we're talking about spores, generally we're talking about something airborne, so that's scary. But eventually the bugs die and long tendrils of the fungus burst from their corpses. This is reality. This is, I mean, we're referring to The Last of Us, but we're referencing cordyceps as a real thing. So, just so it's known that we're talking about science now. When these fungal sprouts are finished growing, they release additional spores, which then infect any other insects of the same species that are unlucky enough to walk on them. So they collect them on their feet. Watch where you're putting your feet out there. As noted by National Geographic, Cordyceps has only one goal, to spread to as many hosts as it can. It gets worse, though. Tell us about it. Researchers believe that at least one Cordyceps variant, Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, and I'm leaving it with that, is able to infect ants living in tropical regions, penetrate their exoskeletons, and actually control their behavior. After it's inside the bodies of ants, the fungus takes control of their nervous system. It then compels them to climb about 10 inches off the ground, latch their jaws onto a plant, and wait to die. And as the ants cling to the plants in their waking coma, cordyceps feeds on their innards, slowly weaving through their bodies until it has completely overtaken the hapless insects. Days later, the fungus emerges from the ants' bodies and eerie tendrils, ready to once again release its spores and seek out its next unlucky victims. Interestingly, researchers have also found that cordyceps doesn't take over the brains of insects, Instead, it uses bioactive compounds to disrupt its victims' nervous systems and manipulate their muscles directly. In a sense, cordyceps moves its host like a puppet on a string. Only the strings are inside of their bodies. That's horrific. This is just one species of Ophiocordyceps, though. In total, researchers have identified more than 200 species, all of which infect different creatures like ants, caterpillars, grasshoppers, cicadas, and even spiders. One species of cordyceps... Ophiocordyceps sinensis preys on ghost moths and ghost moth caterpillars, for example. The husks of these infected caterpillars have been used in traditional Tibetan and Chinese medicine for generations. They are prized for their supposed qualities as an aphrodisiac, cancer treatment, and immune booster. Man, everything's an aphrodisiac, isn't it? Like, you could just look at the list of Chinese medicine. It's like, oh, rhino horn? Yeah, that that will get you a boner. Uh, Elephant tusk? Yep, same thing. Uh, I don't know. What else do they have? Snow leopard teeth? Yeah, sure, that'll get you hard, too. It's so crazy that they use all these weird things as an aphrodisiac. I I don't know. Maybe Maybe the aphrodisiac is that they take control of their victims. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I just think that's weird that everything in Chinese medicine is an aphrodisiac. Yeah, the most random things. Yeah. It's exciting terrain at the fringes of our understanding to look at the extent of how parasites control their hosts. According to Barrett Klein, an entomologist at the University of Wisconsin and La Crosse told National Geographic, if animals are so easily manipulated, what does that mean about us? But could cordyceps ever infect humans? Well, on HBO's Last of Us and the game of the same name that preceded it is centered around the idea that a cordyceps variant could evolve and eventually infect humans. It's certainly a frightening idea, and it's one that is not too deeply rooted in the realm of science fiction. 
In The Last of Us, cordyceps spreads through a mycelium network rather than through spores. Thankfully, the BBC spoke with a microbiologist named Carissa De Becker, which is weird. I've never seen a De Becker or a La Becker. It's good stuff. Uh, apparently, she has studied cordyceps and their effect on zombified ants. She noted that humans don't have much to worry about. She said, our body temperature is simply too high for most fungi to nicely settle and grow. And this is the same for this cordyceps, she said. Their nervous system is simpler than ours, so it would definitely be easier to hijack the brain of an insect versus our brain. Also, their immune systems are very different from ours. For this fungus to be able to jump from an insect to us and cause an infection is a very big leap. That said, cordyceps isn't the only fungus humans have to worry about. In fact, roughly 1.7 million people are killed by fungi each year. Or fungi. Ryan's a fungi. <laughs> and the World Health Organization has identified 19 different fungi that could possibly pose a threat to humanity. One yeast-based fungus Candida auris, for example, can invade our blood, nervous system, and internal organs. Another, Cryptococcus neoformans, can infect the nervous system and cause meningitis. Mucormycetes can lead to a flesh-eating disease known as mucormycosis, which often infects the nose, sinuses, eyes, and brain. Mucormycosis can result in a runny nose, one-sided facial swelling and pain, headache, fever, blurred vision, bulging or displacement of the eye, and eventually, tissue death. These are just a few examples, of course, and there are even more cases of fungi that can be highly beneficial to humans. But the point is that fungi, as mysterious and frightening as they are, aren't something to be taken lightly. It's not likely that cordyceps will cause a zombie outbreak and bring about the end of the world. But there are zombie spiders. <sighs> that sounds like a Batman fear, too. You know, like, oh, now it's zombie spiders, and it's your fault. You put that thought in my head. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the zombie spiders. Zoologist Philippe Fernandez Fournier from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada, and colleagues made a chilling discovery in the Ecuadorian Amazon. A species of parasitic wasps takes full control of small social spiders, driving them to their death. They found that a previously unknown species of Setapata <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> I think you said shoe, though. <laughs> uh, let me try that again. They found that a previously unknown species of the Zadipota wasp can manipulate spiders from the Anolosimus eximius? Sounds like you're driving out a demon. <laughs> <sighs> from the Anolosimus eximius species to an extent that researchers have never before witnessed in nature. Anyway, the spiders are social animals that prefer to remain in groups, never straying too far from their colonies. But Fernandez Fournier and the team noticed that members of this species infected with this larva exhibited bizarre behavior, leaving their colony to weave tightly spun cocoon-like webs in remote locations. When the researchers opened these artificial cocoons, they found Zedipoda larvae growing inside. I think I pronounced that the same way I did the last time. 
Further research presented a gruesome string of events. The wasps lay eggs on the abdomen of spiders. When the egg hatches and the wasp larva emerges, it starts feeding on the spider and begins to take control of its body. When the larva has gained full control of its host, it turns into a zombie-like creature that is compelled to stray away from its mates and spin the cocoon-like nest that will allow the larva to grow into the adult wasp. Before entering its new cocoon, though, the wasp larva first finishes its job by devouring its host. Wasps manipulating the behavior of spiders has been observed before, but not at a level as complex as this, says Fernandez. This behavior modification is so hardcore. The wasp completely hijacks the spider's behavior and brain and makes it do something it would never do, like leave its nest and spinning a completely different structure. But we will talk reanimated viruses after a quick break. So that is pretty horrific. Anyway, let's talk reanimated viruses. A newly reanimated giant virus from the Siberian permafrost offers a chilling warning of possible dangers to come. But while reviving dead humans may not be on the cards for our race just yet, reviving other organisms is. This can be particularly unsettling when we think that those organisms are viruses. In 2014, researchers dug a fascinating organism out of the Siberian permafrost, a so-called giant virus, about 30,000 years old, which they named Pithovirus sibericum. Giant viruses are called this because, though still tiny, they are easily visible under the microscope. But there's something else that makes P. sibericum stand apart. It is a DNA virus that contains a large number of genes, as many as 500 to be precise. This is in stark contrast with other DNA viruses such as the human immunodeficiency virus or HIV which only contains about 12 genes in all. The size of giant viruses as well as the fact that they contain such a large amount of DNA can make them particularly dangerous since they can stick around for an extremely long time. They said, among known viruses, the giant virus tends to be very tough, almost impossible to break open. And that's according to Jean-Michel Clavier and Chantal Abergel in an interview for National Geographic. Special environments such as deep ocean sediments and permafrost are very good preservers of microbes and viruses because they're cold, oxygen-free, and dark. When reanimated, P. sibericum only infected amoebas, archaic unicellular organisms, but happily not humans or other animals. So it's good to know that, you know, they find this virus, it's got 500 genes, they don't know a whole lot about it, and they're like, let's see if we can uh, inject it into a human cell. (laughs) Yet the researchers warn that there may be similar giant viruses buried inside the permafrost that could prove dangerous to humans. Though they have remained safely contained so far, global heating and human action could cause them to resurface and come back to life, which might bring about unknown threats to health. There's another big selling point on global warming. Now they're saying, yeah, we're going to have viruses now. 
Mining and drilling mean digging through these ancient layers for the first time in millions of years. If viable viruses are still there, this is a good recipe for disaster. What about zombie plants, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also in 2014, researchers from the John Innes Center in Norwich, UK, found that certain bacteria known as phytoplasma turned some plants into zombies. Plants such as goldenrods can succumb to the control of manipulative bacteria. The bacteria which insects disseminate infect plants such as goldenrods which have yellow flowers. The infection causes the goldenrods to put out leaf-like extensions instead of their usual blooms. These leaf-like growths attract more insects, which allows the bacteria to travel widely and infect other plants. While the transformation does not cause the plant to die, researchers are fascinated by how phytoplasma can bend this host's will. And it's odd to call it a will since it's a plant. <laughs> kind of more the plant's plan. To make it grow the elements they require to spread and thrive. The insects transmit bacteria called phytoplasmas, which destroy the life cycle of the plants, says Professor Gunter Tieben. That's not Gunter from Central Park. He's from Friedrich Schiller University, Jena, one of the researchers who have closely studied the activity of phytoplasma. These plants become the living dead. Eventually, they only serve the spread of the bacteria. But what about human zombies? Wow. Other than the ones on Twitter. Yes. Can humans turn into zombies too? In the 1990s, Dr. Chauvinet Duyon and Professor Roland Littlewood decided to investigate whether Haitian zombies, reanimated but mindless humans, were a real possibility. People with Cotard syndrome are convinced that they are dead. In 1997, the two published a study paper in the Lancet in which they analyzed the cases of three individuals from Haiti whose communities had identified as zombies. One was a 30-year-old woman who had allegedly quickly died after having fallen ill. Her family recognized her walking about as a zombie three years after this event. Another was a young man who had died at 18 and re-emerged after another 18 years at a cockfight. So, I guess cockfights attract zombies. So, if you're in the zombie apocalypse, stay away from cockfights. Right. <laughs> the final case study concerned another woman who had, quote, died at 18, but was spotted again as a zombie 13 years after this event. Dr. Duyon and Professor Littlewood examined the three zombies and found that they had not been the victims of an evil spell. That's a shocker. I don't think that people are saying that Haitian zombies are really put... I don't know. I feel like saying a spell means it's like all like psychological and mental, but they're also using powerful toxins. So I, I don't know about calling it a spell. But anyway, instead, medical reasons could explain their zombification. The first, quote, zombie had catatonic schizophrenia, a rare condition that makes the person act as though they are walking in a stupor. The second person experienced brain damage and also had epilepsy, while the third appeared merely to have a learning disability. People with a chronic schizophrenic illness, brain damage, or learning disability are not uncommon in Haiti, and they would be particularly likely to be identified as lacking volition and memory, which are characteristics of a zombie. 
And that's what the researchers wrote in their paper. But there's also a specific psychiatric disorder called Cotard syndrome that can cause people to act like zombies. This is because they are under the delusion that they are dead or decomposing. Oh man, that would be awful. I mean, think about that. If you felt like you were just like dying, you felt like your skin was rotting, that would be insane. It remains unclear just how prevalent this condition is, but research suggests that it is a rare occurrence. Documented cases of people with Cotard syndrome are unsettling, nevertheless. One case study reports the situation of a 53-year-old woman who was, quote, complaining that she was dead, smelled like rotting flesh, and wanted to be taken to a morgue so that she could be with dead people, end quote. Tell us about the other source. Another source speaks of a 65-year-old man who had developed a belief that his organs, including his brain, had stopped working and that even the house in which he lived was slowly but steadily falling apart. At some point, the man attempted to take his own life. Researchers report that his suicide note revealed that he wanted to kill himself as he feared spreading a deadly infection to the villagers who might suffer from cancer. Do such cases mean that zombies are real in some way, or just as our fascination with the figure of the zombie in folklore and popular culture, do they merely reflect our uneasy relationship with death? Uh, I'd say we'll leave it for you to decide, but we should have some final thoughts for this conversation yeah i think that the zombie represents a lot of things it represents a fear that we have or a a repulsion of like rotting corpses so that's you know on the surface very obvious but i think that people are intrigued with zombies because i think a lot of people are becoming zombies to technology Sure. So I think that that's kind of where my fascination lies. And then in these cases of real life zombies, you know, the fungus and stuff like that, that's pretty intriguing stuff too. But we kind of did this as a an after party because we were kind of like, well, yeah, let's talk about it really happening. Now that yeah. you've been prepared, you were ready you were ready to hear that this could actually happen to you. Right, and how. Mm -hmm. So what are your final thoughts? I mean, there's some really scary stuff out there. Like, this fungus is the one that bothers me. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. If I was a scientist, I'd be keeping a close eye on it. Like, okay, now they can control ants. Mm -hmm. All right, now it's spiders, and now it's grasshoppers, and now it's mice, and now it's this and that. And it's like, you know, we might probably just want to keep an eye on it. If nothing else, just keep an eye on that particular bacteria and how it progresses. And uh, I don't think we have a lot to worry about practically, or mm-hmm. at least not in the near term. I mean, there could be a point where we go into a, what was the movie After Earth or whatever? That movie that everybody hated with Will Smith and his son, I where they come to it. this. It's uh, the, I only know the premise. I never saw it. But the, the idea, which doesn't seem far-fetched to me, is that it's way in the future they are traveling to what we probably think is another planet, but it turns out it's Earth. Mm-hmm. And humans had to abandon it because basically everything on Earth, like humans became the top species, so everything evolved to come after humans. Mm. You know, I wouldn't yeah. be super surprised if, you know, fungus evolved to come after us because there's, there's a lot of us. Yeah. Uh, but I think... 
I don't know. I think you're right. I think the biggest threat of zombification would be technology. Mm-hmm. And it would probably be stuff like computer brain interface type devices, you know, things that Elon Musk is trying to work on with like Neuralink. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that they would probably say like this would just be an informational or perceptional thing, like it wouldn't be connected to any motor functions or whatever. But I think that's the most likely route for something to happen. Almost like an MK Ultra type. Yeah, yeah. You make like sleepers out of people mm-hmm. by putting these chips in, and like, oh well, let's just install this extra little thing, oh, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do think that that's the probably natural path for evolution. When you sign into you sign into Neuralink and you have to accept the cookies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that we're we're at a point, and they make this. Anthony Hopkins' character makes this point in the first season of Westworld. Like, in that kind of near-future show, they, they talked about how humans are at a point where they can cure pretty much any disease. You know, there's no... There's essentially no survival of the fittest anymore. Everybody can survive. So, like, evolution is now probably going to be the way we use our technology. Like, our tools are to the point where we can pretty much survive whatever we need to. So technology is the probably the next step in our evolution, but I think it also is probably the most dangerous step. Stay human. Because it could lead to a Borg-type situation or something like that. I guess the Borg are kind of zombies from Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not familiar with the Borgs, man, but I'm sure a lot of listeners are. So Yeah, they're cultured people. Of course. <laughs> you mean the Borgs are our listeners? <laughs> uh, a bit of both. More the listeners, though. Good. There would be something fun about like a, a an experience maybe we need to open up a uh, like a haunted house this uh, Halloween like the cryptique experience and you get to have like foam swords and you know smash zombies as they're coming after you as you're trying to get through this building or something like that I think people would uh, really enjoy that I think we could get our zombies for free too dead silence <laughs> I was muted, sorry. <laughs> oh, I thought maybe you were being taken over by a fungus. No, no. Anyway, I guess that's really all we've got for you then. You want to tell them what they need to know? Sure, yeah. Like like I always say, follow us on social media, TikTok, at cryptic underscore podcast, but be careful. That is an attack vector for zombification. You can find us on YouTube at cryptic podcast. That is not an official statement. That is not a, that's a joke. We're on level four. We are not actually saying that that, that TikTok zombifies people, but some people on TikTok kind of act like zombies. Yeah. Uh, you can always check out Parabox with the link in the show notes. Parabox comes out with some cool stuff, really neat designs, some kind of obscure references, probably good conversation starters, really. For show. Sure. I but wear yeah. one almost every day. Yeah, share us. Let people know about us. Reach out to us if you have anything you want to say. We're always open to it. We want to we want to know what you like and what you don't like. And uh, I guess we'll be back with, are we living in a simulation? And if so, what are the uh, CIA cheat codes in the after party? Good evening, Crypt Keepers. <laughs> <laughs>